Hey everybody, welcome back to the Clean Slate Farm Podcast. As I'm editing this episode with Emily McCafferty of Accidental Hippies, I've got two pots on the stove. I'm making roasted butternut squash soup with apple cider, garlic, ginger, onions, and man, this house smells incredible. But anyway, back to Emily. Emily and her husband Mark built a cordwood home. It's a timber frame cordwood home, and she's going to tell us all about how they did that. She's got an ebook that she has published, and it's all about how to build your own home. There's a lot of things to think about if you're going to do that. We're going to talk about that a little bit too. On to our episode with Emily. Emily, how you doing today? I'm doing fine. Terrific. Hey, why did you tell us a little bit about accidental hippies and about the homestead? Okay. Um, well, I, I called it Accidental Hippies when I started the blog about four years ago because my mom would always joke with me, like, I wasn't raised in a homesteader kind of environment. We lived a very typical middle class, get your stuff from Walmart kind of life. And um, I, over time, I just kind of started doing these quote unquote hippie things that my mom just found funny. Like she called me one time and she asked me, Hey, I'm, what are you doing? And I said, Oh, I'm making butter. And I was doing it in my Cuisinart. I wasn't sitting out back turning it with like a, a turn or anything, but she was like, of course you are. <laughs> Cause I had started kind of making my own cleaners and we got a real push mower instead of like a gas mower. And we were just, you know, line drying our clothes, just doing progressively hippier things not necessarily because we were on a crusade to save the earth or something we just like oh hey we want to save some money this also happens to be really good for the environment this is all a great idea it just made sense to us so she started calling us a bunch of accidental hippies and then when she she actually suggested to me why don't you start a blog about all that hippie stuff you do? And I said, oh, okay. We hadn't bought our land or anything at that point, but we knew it was coming down the pike. So I'm like, what should I call it? And she's like, well, you're a bunch of accidental hippies. Why don't you call it that? Uh, that's so I did. And so um, at first I started off, because like I said, we hadn't bought our land yet. We hadn't built our house. Nobody really knew that that's what we were going to do yet. So I was writing about like cloth diapering and um, how we built our clothesline and using our real mower and stuff like that. And eventually that all segued into our cordwood building and, and everything that went with that because I knew ultimately I wanted to create a resource that showed people exactly what it looked like step-by-step step to build a house like this because I had done so much Googling and spent so much time on YouTube and looking things up, and I just couldn't find a whole lot of people who had documented their builds, and I really wanted to see what that looked like. So I knew other people probably wanted to see it too, so I created a resource to do just that, and that's kind of how Accidental Hippies came about. That's neat. Now, my wife and I, many years ago, were going to start building uh, and we were going to do the timber frame. Uh, we mm -hmm. had planned on going to, I think it's called the Shelter Institute up in Maine. Uh, yeah. And mm -hmm. we were going to go to Shelter Institute, learn how to do the the uh, timber frame, and then build a house. And cordwood was kind of in the back of my mind as well for part of it. And we never got around to it. Life got in the way. We had a business, and we didn't do it. So we lived vicariously mm -hmm. through you. And I'd like to talk a little bit about the post and beam. And first of all, I think mm -hmm. being hippie is not a bad thing. I was a hippie. Once. <laughs> and, uh -huh. But that's life. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the cordwood home. It's a post and beam. And then you fill mm -hmm. in with cordwood. Now is the entire yes. structure cord? 
Um, most of it, there is a little room on the front of the house, which, um, whenever people go see the website and see pictures of it, um, there's like a, a mud room on the front that originally we'd kind of thought like maybe we would do it mostly windows and make it kind of like a greenhouse. It's on the Southern face. We ended up not doing that. Um, but it's just regular stud framing, yeah. but everything else is with the cordwood as infill. Mm-hmm. Now yes. let's talk a little bit about cordwood because you're using timber frame and then you mm-hmm. filled in with cordwood. So how, mm-hmm. how thick are the logs? Um, our logs are all 16 inches thick. So um, for people who don't necessarily know what cordwood is, it's different from typical log building in that with, with most log homes, the logs are laid with their, um, like the side grain out. And so you run them lengthwise. The problem with this one, it's not very efficient. Two, you have to have really uniform logs to be able to build this way. Right. Yeah. And three, something I discovered later, there are insurance companies that will just flat out not insure a log home, even newer ones. Um, so, you know, cordwood, on the other hand, we didn't have any problems at all getting it insured because it's technically a masonry. Right. So cordwood masonry, you take short lengths of logs that are all the same. In our case, we chose 16 inches because it's a, a pretty manageable size. A lot of times your dimensional lumber, like if you get like a two by eight or something like that, you get two of them and you can make a window box that fits in, in right. that space. Yeah. Um, but, you know, people up in more northern climates, there are a lot that are 24 inches. There are some where maybe it's not a conditioned space, like might be a garage or a shed or something where they might do eight or 10 inch logs. So it's really adaptable. Mm-hmm. And I... you run two lines of mortar and it's a special kind of mortar that you mix yourself. That is a slow curing mortar. So it's not off the shelf, like what you would get at a big box store. And then you place your logs on there on your two lines of mortar, put some insulation in the middle and then just keep building it up gradually like that. And then you end up with um, a very thick insulated wall that has a lot of thermal mass in it. So it's really temperature stable and um, it's very, very strong, very strong. Okay. So and it almost has like a polka dotted effect. Right. Yeah. A it's a beautiful look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'd imagine that the, a 16 inch log gives you quite an R value. And then with the concrete acting mm-hmm. with the, the, well, you're, your mortar acting as mm-hmm. a, uh, a binder and then filling in between mm-hmm. the two rows. Mm-hmm. You, that's got to be a pretty hefty duty R value on that, right? Yeah, it is. Um, what our, our code official took was R16. So um, the we used Eastern Red Cedar and they accepted a value of R1 per inch. Mm-hmm. So 16 um, for that. And then the mortar with the insulation in the middle, which was just a uh, cedar sawdust mixed with lime, it, it ends up being about the same. So the whole wall is an R16. Why the lime? Um, the lime acts as kind of a detractor for insects. Oh. So, um, so it's a powder and you just mix it in. And I forget the exact ratio we used. Um, I want to say it was like 11 scoops of sawdust to one scoop of lime or 12 scoops, something like that. And we mixed it in a big barrel and then scooped it in. Mm -hmm. And again, I have pictures of us kind of going through that process on the blog. Um, But yeah, it it keeps the insects from getting in there and doing things. I'll mention the blog and we'll put it in the show notes Mm -hmm. too. It's accidentalhippies.com. 
and yes. there's, there's photos of the house and mm-hmm. there's photos of construction. Uh, and a couple of the things that I want to back up just a little bit because we were talking, a couple mm-hmm. of the questions I had were on the logs, it's red cedar. So splitting's not going to be an issue, right? Um, not generally when you cut your logs, um, some of them will start to develop a primary check. So where they start to crack down the side, mm-hmm. it's best if you can, especially on these larger logs to split them before they have a chance to do that. Sometimes they'll, kind of show you where they need to be split because that primary check will start to develop. So we have a combination in our house of splits and full rounds, just depending on how the logs behaved. You also dry them until they're at about 16% moisture content, which you just measure with a little moisture meter. It has like little prongs you just stick in there. Mm -hmm. And when they're seasoned enough and they don't have their bark on them and they've had enough time to sit and acclimate, then uh, splitting hasn't been an issue. And I've gone around all of our walls um, because it's been through two heating seasons now. And I haven't had too much in the way of shrinkage or cracking. I haven't had any of them that have checked. Mm -hmm. So that's been a a good thing to see. There's been a little bit of shrinkage with some of the logs we had to cut at the last minute because we didn't quite have enough when we started building. But there are log home products that you can get. It's there's log jam and there's permachink and it's basically just a fancy caulk with grit and it's colored to look like your mortar and you just fill in around that and it seals the gaps. Now, do you seal the end of the logs at all? No. And that's a very important thing. People ask that all the time uh, in, in forums and on, in Facebook groups when people are asking about cordwood building, like you have to seal it because they think it'll rot. And it's not going to. The well, it's cedar to begin with. Not seal it. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the bugs really don't like it. Right. Um, I never hardly see anything crawling on there. Sometimes, um, you know, like things will kind of scuttle along it, but generally they avoid it. Um, the mason bees just kind of fly around it looking for a spot and they never land. That's good. <laughs> so, um, but you, you want the wood to breathe through the end grain. So when there's a driving rain, for example, it'll dry out within a couple of hours usually because it's allowed to breathe. If you seal the ends of your logs, then you're inviting moisture to get trapped. And that's what causes, you know, mold and fungus to grow. And that's where your pest problems start to come from. And that's how rot happens. Yeah. So, so when the logs are able to breathe, it's not a problem. So it's best just to let nature do what nature's doing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's just that best to leave them alone. Yep. It's like the old, old television commercial. It's not nice to fool mother mm-hmm. nature. Just let it go. Yep. So, so yep. how, do, how did you go about designing the home? We, I don't, we kind of started by looking at books and um, plans on Pinterest. You know, we, we thought about things that we liked in homes that we had lived in up to this point things that we didn't like, features that we we knew we wanted. For example, my husband really wanted to have kind of an open concept in the living room and kitchen area because the house he grew up in was a mid-century ranch that all the, all the rooms were really closed off from each other and there yeah. wasn't really a place to gather. Mm-hmm. And he wanted it to be more family and like friend-oriented. Yep. And that you could gather together. So he wanted it to be open. We knew that we wanted to incorporate some passive solar design um, to make it more efficient naturally. So we looked for plans 
it kind of fit what we were looking for. And once we found something that we liked, we contacted a cordwood draftsman um, who is actually, um, he lives in a cordwood home himself. And I have information about that uh, in my book that we'll talk about later. But his name is Rob Pitchelman. And he designed the home that Richard Flatto lives in. And he is one of the leading cordwood experts. He's designed, you know, dozens of homes and sheds and other kinds of buildings out of cordwood. And we sent him what we wanted. We showed him pictures, kind of what we were thinking of. And he came back with a preliminary plan. We looked at it. We made some edits together. And when we arrived at our finished product, he sent us um, all the big plans drawn up that we could use and then like give to our code officials so that they could approve our building permit too. Right. Yeah. You're, it sounds like our home when we were looking for a new home and where we live now, uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a chef. I trained as a chef. I manage restaurants now, but one of the things that I wanted in a house was a, a large kitchen, something that I could work mm-hmm. in efficiently, but also to be able to, you don't have people over. I don't want to be in the kitchen while they're in another room. So right. that was important to us. So it sounds like the same thing for you folks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you have what, like, uh, what is it? 16 acres, 20 acres? Yeah, we have 16 acres. And how did you, you did some site planning, obviously, because you use solar. Yeah. Yeah. So we knew that there was a possibility of us going solar when we were looking for properties, but we mostly were looking at properties with the intention of using the passive solar concept. So having an open Southern face and the Southern sky um, to maximize solar gain from the South end of the house. And um, it just happened that the property that we fell in love with met those criteria, but was also really far away from any grid connections. So, so it was so you had to. cost basically to go solar. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So you were, you were almost, well, you weren't almost, you were, you were forced. You had to go off grid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, if we wanted to spend, you know, twenty five to $30,000 to connect to the grid and then have a bill for the rest of our lives. We could have done that. No, thanks. Um, but we didn't want to spend that that kind of money. Sure. And, you know, it cost us a third of that to get enough solar power to meet our needs. Right, yeah. Our house, mm-hmm. we had someone come over last year. We might still do it. Uh, our house is on a hill facing perfectly south, and we had a solar mm-hmm. uh, panel folks come by. And he crawled up on the roof and he had like a sextant or something and for sun angle. Mm-hmm. And he was up there. I thought the guy was going to just like have a heart attack because it was, he, he kept saying, oh my God, this is perfect. This is perfect. <laughs> He's an engineer. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. He might still do that. So our house is perfect Southern exposure for that sort of thing. And we're considering yeah. doing, doing the solar. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's still a big cost. And for us, we don't have to do it. It would be nice mm-hmm. not to have to pay the power company and pump money back in. Yeah, it. yeah. And it depends, too, on if you're planning to go off-grid or if you're going to be grid-tied. Exactly, um, yeah. Or so you, exactly how you're going to go about that or what incentives your state offers or not. Mm-hmm. So I had imagined then that you have some kind of battery system? Yes, we do. We have – I always have to kind of go through these specs in my head. We have four um, – sealed lead acid AGM batteries. Mm -hmm. So we don't have to top them off with water. We don't have to do any of that stuff. Um, They're perfectly sealed. They're in a box that's vented to the outside. And they are, it's a 24 volt system. 
at 500 amp hours. And then we have six panels outside that feed that, that equal roughly 1140 watts, um, which we're actually getting today in spite of the clouds, because um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the cloud edge effect. No. Um, I'd always heard about it, and it, it is absolutely a thing. The cloud edge effect is basically when the sun shines over the edge of a cloud and it gets really bright when it does that because yep. it kind of amplifies mm-hmm. that. And the panels see that, and they'll shoot over their rated capacity just a little bit. So we were, um, before you called, we were pulling about 1,200 watts, even though it's nominal rate is 1140. So you can measure how much wattage you're using at mm-hmm. any given time, how much it's pumping into the batteries. And mm-hmm. so give me an idea of how many kilowatt hours you use, let's say in a month. Oh, see, that's an interesting thing because it doesn't really tell you that. It, you can see how many watts are coming in and you can kind of guess what's going out, but since it's kind of in constant flow, okay. it's, um, it's not really metering that. I suppose there, there might actually be a way to tap into that. Um, there is a, an ethernet connection on the side, mm-hmm. but um, I honestly don't know how many kilowatt hours we use a month. So let's, which sounds crazy, but it's so true. You have electric utilities, obviously electric stove or wood burning. How do you do that? We have, um, well, we have a mixture. We have some propane. So for the kitchen, we have a propane stove, and we also have a propane refrigerator. That's um, interesting. Because, yeah, because um, it actually it's less. Well, we had a little mini fridge, <laughs> which <laughs> if anybody ever goes to my Instagram, you can scroll way back yeah, and see. I, re- I remember that one. Green mini fridge. <laughs> And it it only used um, maybe 70 watts at a time, but in the wintertime, you know, power is at a premium Mm because your daylight hours are really short, but your usage is a little bit more because we have radiant heat, which is fed from hot water. The Mm -hmm. The water is heated from propane, but the pumps that circulate it are electric. Yep. So our batteries and our our panels have to feed – the circulation pumps for that, our water pump that feeds water from our underground cistern up into the house that pressurizes it, um, that requires a huge amount of wattage. If there's anything that I, I would like to lessen the load of, it's it's the water pump mm-hmm. for sure. We just have an off-the-shelf, like you can get it at Lowe's or Home Depot, and yeah. uh, it, it kicks over 2,000 watts to start because under load, it'll uh, stall out our, our generator. Wow. We have a 2,000 watt generator. So, yeah, if I could lessen that, that'd be great. <laughs> but that's if we have, you know, the lights and fans and, you know, all the other kinds of typical things. We've got our computers yep. and our now, devices and all that. So, you really don't have an energy situation where you have to worry about it then? Not really. Not really, no. That's neat. Um, yeah, it's the system that we have is built on the website we got it from as like a small like a cabin, I guess, system. And it's like the smallest one, but it it meets our needs. And then some, especially in the summertime, we generally don't worry about it. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So now what's your climate like down there? What's your like, 
I, I don't even know how to measure Very that. mixed. <laughs> so obviously if, if you're farther north, so you get a lot more in terms of snow. We tend to get more ice in the winter than anything. Mm-hmm. But we have gotten really big snows. There was a couple couple of years ago we had like a, a two foot snow that wow. practically shut the state down. <laughs> yeah. Climate change. Yeah. Yeah. But we we have that. We get ice. Um our summers can be really hot, but they're not as hot as the deep south. So like if it reaches a hundred around here, that makes the news, but okay. you know, we'll spend weeks at a time at like 90, yeah. 95. And you know, it's just kind of a minor topic of conversation. Um, but we get a, a decent amount of rain, but a decent amount of sun. It's very mixed. So it's not really extreme. You're up in the hills then? Um, Kind of where we are in Kentucky. We're not, we have very gentle rolling hills okay. further to our south and east. It's you start getting into the foothills of the Appalachian Mountains, okay. and the hills are a lot steeper there. I went to college down in that region, but if you go out to western Kentucky, it's very flat. It's lots of farmland, so we're kind of in this gentle sloping kind of hill situation. We're at the top of the hill with our house, so we get a lot of wind, but. Um, yeah, we. No, it's, it's nothing too extreme. It sounds like where we are. It's uh, <clears throat> it's called the Southern Hills, uh, where we are, and it's mm-hmm. it's all glacier. There's uh, the Finger Lakes is mm-hmm. about thirty miles to the west of us, and we've got some areas down here where when the glaciers receded, they pulled everything through and created these gentle rolling hills. Makes farming yeah, a little difficult exactly sometimes. Yeah, that's exactly what we've done. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. farming's a little difficult for the farmers around here in some cases, but. You know, it's, uh, and we're at, I think, 1,450 feet elevation. So, like, our seasons, everything is, like, two weeks behind everything. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to take a little break here, and we're going to go check on that soup to make sure it doesn't burn up. Hey, remember that we have the YouTube channel, cleanslatefarm.com, and we're on Facebook and Instagram also, and that's Clean Slate Farm obviously. Uh, If you are buying anything, you could do a tremendous favor for us by purchasing through our link to Amazon on cleanslatefarm.com. Just find the little Amazon button, click on it, and anything you purchase there, we'll get a small referral fee. It's a little finder's fee sort of thing. And that helps support us here. It helps us buy the equipment to do the podcast and the videos. We'd really appreciate that. Enough of the commercial. Let's get back to our talk with Emily. So back to the house, uh, when you start building, you've got to go through, and I'll mention also, you mentioned the book earlier, you've got an ebook on how to do all of this, uh, and it cover, yes, covers everything, right? Yeah, as, as much as I could cover. So uh, the book is called The Owner Builder Home Planner, and I created it because I, I started talking to people in my audience about, like, well, what are some of your concerns as you're building? And a lot of people, you know, it wasn't necessarily like how to frame a wall or, you know, how to do this or that, like actual building tests, those you can figure out. What's really hard to figure out sometimes is not knowing where to start. So, like, if you need to get permits, or if you live in a place where, you know, things are a little bit looser, or if you need to get financing, or if you're going to pay cash, or, you know, how to get plans, this and that. Um, I wanted to give people a resource that let them do that. And I knew what struggles we had when we started building our house or in the planning phase. We were in the planning phase for a couple of years before we even actually broke ground on the house itself. So, So the book really covers all of those things that you might not necessarily think about until it's way too late. Right. 
because you're gonna you have to figure mm -hmm. out your your building home. So there's things like you know what kind of materials you'll need, what your material costs are going to mm -hmm. be. Now you mentioned something earlier about insurance, so let's let's talk the the financing and insurance side of this a little mm -hmm. bit. Uh, I know uh, you mentioned the let's talk insurance first. The, a log home is sometimes difficult, if not impossible, to insure, but cordwood right, is considered. Right. It's cool for cordwood. It, yeah, it's considered a masonry style, and cordwood has a, a very high fire rating. A lot of people um, are under the impression when they see cordwood for the first time, a lot of times they'll comment, oh, that's going to burn down so fast. And I'm thinking to myself, have you ever tried to light an entire log on fire before? Yeah, from the end? <laughs> it's one that's surrounded by cement or concrete or mortar or, you know, what have you. It's like, you can't just light it on fire. You know, a stud frame house is going to burn far quicker. Oh, yeah. Because if you think about it, it's the difference between burning an entire log and burning a twig. Right. So, so there was a university up in Canada, I forget which one right now, um, that tested the fire rating of a cordwood wall. And after several hours, it would only char, like several hours of a constant flame being applied to it wow. wouldn't burn. Yeah. So um, insurance companies loved it. And our we pay in a year about half of what we used to pay for the mid-century ranch that we had prior to this. And that's because so, of the style um, of building. The style of building, the fact that it's a new construction versus an older one, so yep. we're completely to um, the current residential code, mm -hmm. and um, they're very happy with that. Yep. So on to financing a little bit. Around here, mm -hmm. if, if someone was going to build a home, at least in New York State, and I'm sure it's like this in other parts of the country, if you go mm -hmm. to a bank and say, we're going to build, they're going to look at you mm -hmm. and laugh because they don't want to build. They don't want to – they really don't want to finance new construction if you're going to do it yourself. Um, right. So there it's has very to very risky for them to lend exactly. to somebody who isn't licensed. Yeah. So there has to be quite a bit of planning before you can do that on, from yes. your end. Yes, definitely. So if somebody was going to try to finance their entire build, um, a lot of times like you want to shop around your lenders. Don't just go to the big ones. The big ones often will ignore you completely. Um, looking for smaller local lenders is a good thing, um, especially if you're looking to do something like cordwood. You're probably also looking to do it in a rural location. You're probably not looking to do it on like a cul-de-sac neighborhood, right? usually. So in those cases, if you need the land too, you might look at rural lenders. Uh, we used a farm credit okay. kind of place, and that's where we bought our land originally. Mm -hmm. And we paid cash for our build about halfway through it. And then we got to a point where we realized if we were going to finish it and get out of, we were living with my mom, if we were going to get out of her basement and be our own family in our own house again, it was going to take us years unless we could finance the rest of it. So we went to the lender that did our land loan and said, we know that you also finance for rural homes what can you do for us? And they worked with us and look at, looked at our plans. They looked at what we still needed and we had to pull up every receipt. We were so glad that we kept track of it. Every receipt for everything that we built or bought for the build up to that point. And, you know, they kind of crunched the numbers and saw what they could do for us. And they were able to lend the remainder for the build. So we kind of did a mix of half and half. Yep. We, we, financed it all ourselves and we got a loan for the remainder mm -hmm. so we have experience on both ends yeah uh, our neighbor works for a, 
company called Farm Credit, and mm-hmm. they they fund farmers for new barns, <clears throat> excuse me, new equipment, uh, and things like that. And I'm not sure if they do houses or not, but it's it's only only for farmers. It's uh, pretty exclusive stuff. So mm-hmm. you did your budgets and before everything, and it's uh, I I have to say that you're you kept phenomenal records because. You, mm-hmm. I mean, on your website, you total up how much you paid for this, how much you paid for that, credits uh-huh. for this. So that's very good. And that's going to be very helpful for anybody considering out there, considering uh, building yourselves. I think mm-hmm. uh, what Emily's done is, what you've done is mm-hmm. the way to go because you have to track all that stuff. You don't want you to do. lose track of you it. You do. And so. as we learned when they were asking us for our records on that, if we hadn't kept track of that in a spreadsheet as we went, we would have been up a creek. It would have been a nightmare to try to get financing for the remainder of that because we would have had to go back through. But we kept everything in a binder, which is something I go through in the ebook. I, you know, I advise people to print it out and to keep some kind of envelope or folder or something within the binder so that when they get a receipt, you know, for that one-off trip to Lowe's to get, you know, some more finished nails, write it down. And then you have an accurate record of everything that you've spent sure, and what things might be tax deductible too, Mm -hmm. because some states are better than others about that. There are federal, federal credits about other things, but like we were able to write off a portion of our solar, of our insulation and um, some of our windows, those kinds of things because they were energy efficient as well. Never thought about that. I mean, you just never know. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Mm Mm-hmm. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. So that logbook really is uh, very important. And you mm-hmm. probably, I know, I used to work for a contractor when I was about 18 years old. Uh, and he would always tell us, you know, just just caulk that. It'll be okay. Nobody will notice that. He was kind of shitty yeah. character. Uh, but you, and there are a lot of fly-by-nights out there. So I'd imagine you want to keep a good communications log of any subcontractors you use. Uh-huh. You, you never really know. We got lucky. We didn't we didn't get ripped off by anybody. Yeah. We worked with very good people. We vetted people before we hired them for jobs. We'd ask around, ask friends. Um our our excavator friend, um he was probably like the best contact we made. He did the basement for one of my husband's uncles. And so he recommended him to us and he has probably saved us tens of thousands of dollars in the course of this bill, just because he knows stuff yep. or was able to do things for us real quick while he had the backhoe there, you know, yep. that kind of thing. And, and, you know, he's a, he goes to church with us too. So mm-hmm. we've ended up staying in contact and yep. he helps us out when we need to regravel the driveway. You know, he brings that up for us or, yep. you know, he's just been a huge resource. So yep. vetting people, but keeping an accurate record of who you've talked to and about what, So that if you don't have somebody as reputable as him, you know, say, oh, yeah, well, we can do that for, you know, a thousand dollars. And then, you know, the next day you talk to somebody in their office and say, yeah, yeah, we can do that for fifteen hundred. You can say, no, I talked to this person yesterday and they said it was going to be this price. Mm -hmm. You know, you you can cover yourself a lot that way. Yeah. And I'm I'm not suggesting that all contractors would fly by nights, but there's a fair share of them out there. But you have mm-hmm. to be careful on that. And vetting is a good idea. We just had, uh, as much as I like to DIY around here as I can, I try to do everything I possibly can by myself, but we just had some work done on mm-hmm. a window. 
Uh, it's a huge bay window, and there was no way I was going to be able to do it. And we brought a guy in, and he said, yeah, I can do it. for I think it was like $550, and I thought, a uh, little concerned. But he came in, and it's a phenomenal job. So he's going to be mm-hmm. my, my go-to guy if I can't do it. Yep. So. so absolutely. you have building this home, there's got to be like all kinds of tasks. And that's probably another thing you want to do is break your your process down into manual pieces, correct? Yes, yes. And I, I include an example in the book. Um, so I have a tool in there that helps you break down your tasks and figure out what you need to do in order to get a larger task done. Mm-hmm. And the example I used was from our plumbing, from doing our, um, like the rough plumbing under the slab. And I had gone through, um, I created all the riser drawings and whatnot, because in Kentucky, you had to sign an affidavit as an owner builder saying you weren't going to contract that job out. So we consulted a friend who was a master plumber, and he kind of helped us, but we did all the work. And I showed exactly how we broke it down and put in like things that we would have done differently or remember this for next time. Yep. And I had a complete material list in there. Like these are the things we got. And then later, these are the things we forgot. These are the things I should have got. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, oops, we didn't get any of the pipes for the vent stacks. We got to go back and get that. Yep. You know, just like if we had thought about it more beforehand, we could have saved ourselves a trip. We joke sometimes, but it's absolutely true that, probably a good third of our build time was just running back to a store to get X, Y, or Z. Yeah. Cause it's not like where we are. It's, it's a half an hour drive and it doesn't seem a big mm-hmm. deal, half an hour, but half hour up, half hour back. And uh-huh. you just, you want to do that. Just Suddenly once. your whole day is gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can blow and three hours. A lot of time that way. Yep. But three hours is not yeah. unusual. Yeah, exactly. Up. Well, we so, had to drive two. I think it was two and a half oh, wow. to get um, extra. It's Crete heat is this insulation slash locking system mm-hmm. that goes under your slab that holds instead of doing rebar to and and tying your radiant heat tubes to it. Yeah, it's this. It looks like Legos, and you just put your your pipes in there. Mm-hmm. And when we got the estimate and the materials and everything from the company that helped us DIY our radiant heat system, they, we, we didn't tell them that we weren't putting blueboard underneath the cordwood portion. We were using Crete heat all the way across and they didn't know that. And we didn't think to ask them about it. So they sent us everything that was required in the plan they drew up for us. And it was great until we were minus a couple hundred square feet of the stuff and when we called them, we realized that that was the problem. There's one supplier of that near us, and they were two and a half hours away. Oh, yeah. Now yeah you... So all of a sudden, you've got five hours, and the, that particular job needed to be done within the next day or two. Sure, you got the concrete trucks inspected. coming. Uh-huh, and the concrete trucks were coming. So, you know, if we had thought ahead on some of those things, that's what I want to save people from. And that's really why I created the planner. So like, are, are things like that still probably going to happen? Sure. But can I help mitigate some of that? I, I sure hope so. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot better way <laughs> to use your time yeah. than driving five hours to oh, get insulation. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I took a, on your website, I was just looking through and I'm, as I'm scanning through what you would learn in this book, it's like, wow, these are mm-hmm. things I'd never would have thought about. Uh, and I would imagine that I wouldn't think about them until it's like, uh-oh, guess what? We need this. Mm-hmm. 
So now you've yep. been in there for now two years, it is? Um, we've been in the home itself living in it um, after the inspector gave us our permit that said we were okay to go. We're coming up on one year of living here. Um, it's been two, two and a half years since we actually broke ground on um, the foundation for it. And what, three years since we um, since we bought it and started cutting down the trees for the cordwood. Mm-hmm. And, and you're pleased with the performance of the home and everything about it? Very. We've been very surprised. And in, in a lot of cases, we had, a, you know, our, speaking of our weather, we had a long stretch about two weeks ago where it was still in the 90s. And like upper 80s, low 90s, and it was like, why is it still this warm? And then we had a cold snap, and it dropped down to like highs of 50s, lows in the 30s, and it's been there ever since. And it took about a week for our home to actually get to the point where we're like, oh, maybe it's chilly now. (laughs) (laughs) The nice thing about cordwood is there's a lot of thermal mass. Yeah, and it plays well with the passive solar, Mm -hmm. so the temperature stays really regulated. Yeah. yeah, day and night. Now, I noticed also you have uh, not only cordwood, but you also have mm-hmm. put glass bottles in, and that is just stunning. Yes. That's got to be beautiful. How does that work? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, does, do you get heat loss through that, or is it the bottles are corked no, off? It, yeah, um, because they're filled with air, they behave very similarly to the okay. logs, so yeah. their R value is, is about the same. Mm-hmm. And they're so like if the entire even if the entire wall were the glass bottles, I think it would still be pretty efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, Does he still have all and that? They thermal. don't take up a huge percentage of the wall itself, so right. we don't really experience any loss through there. Yeah, and you still have all that thermal mm-hmm. mass going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Pretty neat. So let's mm-hmm. we'll I I know you've got to get going, and I've got to wrap up as well. But let's just do a quick recap. What kind of tips mm-hmm. would you have? for someone who's considering doing this other than buying the book, which I think would be a great idea. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yes. The book would be a really great resource. I, I, it's the kind of thing I wish that I would have had early on in the process. And, and the biggest piece of advice I have is just do research, do as much research as you can and get some hands-on practice, especially if you're planning to build with cordwood, it doesn't really matter what style of building you want to do i think practice is an important thing right so like a couple of days ago we actually volunteered with habitat for humanity which was a and cool got thing to put to do. some of our skills to work but we learned some neat little tricks here and there for mm-hmm. things that will come in really handy when we do another build because we're, we're still going to do a studio and um, some other little odds and ends around mm-hmm. and you know maybe even do some clinics at some point so, but you know, research and practice. Yeah. So, research and practice. Basically, I'm going to take a guess here that your book would be a good idea. And I'm not. I just so everybody out in Radio Land there understands. I'm not receiving any benefit from this. It's not like I'm getting a cut right. of this. Uh, but basically, this book would be a good idea, even if you're not doing cordwood. Right. Yeah. This is not a cordwood specific book. A lot of my readers are doing cordwood, but I have some who are building more traditionally. I have some who are building tiny houses. I have at least one person who is actively working on an earth ship, which is really cool. A what? Um, yeah. What's <laughs> an awesome. earth ship? <laughs> so, like, um, so 
basically they're like taking used tires and filling them with dirt right, right, and yeah. okay. creating walls out of that and it's like recessed into a hill and they're taking advantage of the sun and it's, it's a lot of reclaimed materials mm-hmm. um as self-sustaining as possible it's very cool stuff yeah so, I, uh, now i remember um, if, I, if any of you out there haven't heard of an earthship go look that up yeah uh, pretty I, awesome. there was a uh i think it's on youtube there was a woman in arizona who built an earth ship she used reclaimed tires and then put domes geodesic, mm-hmm. geodesic domes on top yeah and it's pretty cool it kind of unconventional it, but i mean so mm-hmm. her energy use is like zip so. yeah yeah it's pretty cool um how how you can make different dwellings like that and a lot of non-traditional things out there but this is designed to help anybody no matter what kind of house they're they're doing it's designed for the owner builder to make the best possible choices and to save time and sanity and a whole lot of money. That's great. That's my goal. That's cool. Well, it's uh, just looking through your webpage. It looks like you may have hit that goal right on the head. So I hope so. That's pretty neat. Well, Mm -hmm. Emily, thank you very much for joining us today. I think this is uh, very informative and anybody interested in, in building their own home. Yeah. uh, Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, this is pretty cool. So, uh, again, this was has been uh, Emily McCafferty, correct? Yes. Okay. And accidentalhippies.com is the website. Uh, Instagram mm-hmm. and Facebook, same thing? Yep. Yeah, and Facebook and Instagram, I'm accidentalhippies in both places. And I am on Pinterest also at axihippies, A-C-C-I-H-I-P-P-I-E-S. Cool. Good. All right. Well, Emily, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And uh, if anybody's interested, you know where to go. All you need to know to build your own home. So. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining us again today. Hey, thanks for listening to the Clean Slate Farm podcast. We really appreciate that. That was a great talk with Emily. A lot of knowledge there. So if you're interested in building your own home, I'd go check out accidentalhippies.com and see what Emily's book is all about because it's filled with knowledge, I'm sure. Uh, Coming up on the podcast we're going to have again, I keep saying this, but it's going to happen. Jesse and I have been talking about it. Jesse Harriet from Copper City, Copper Horse Roasters. It's coffee roaster, all things coffee. And hopefully we can still get uh, an interview in with Salsa Cues and talk about how do you start a small business. What do you have to think about about that? Anyway, thanks for listening again, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye.